When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. From catching the bus for a family adventure, taking a tram to work, hopping in a taxi for your big night out, or simply relaxing on the train for your next shopping trip. Transport for Ireland is here to reconnect you with all you've missed and everything you want to do. Please do mask up. Use a TFI Leap card where possible, respect each other and be patient so we can all travel safely. Reconnect with the Transport for Ireland network. Welcome, one and all, to the Blood and Mud podcast. The podcast that's basically the Simpsons did it of the lockdown rugby podcast world. Whatever yeah. the podcasts are doing, I feel like... I feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, hang on. Cross, <laughs> Bath Wigan Crossgold game, yeah, did that two years ago. Looking at old, old, old rugby tours, yeah, did that two years ago. I think what this has proved is that for the last five years, you and me have gone out of our way to find reasons to not talk about modern, current rugby that's going on, and basically everybody else is just playing catch up with that now. Like you know, yeah, we've done everything in our power to avoid actually talking <laughs> about rugby that's actually happening, and yeah. now nobody so now we normally do that. I haven't got rugby. They're going, oh, hang on, what do we talk about? Then? Anyway, yeah. anyway, I'm Lee, and over there. Uh, I'm Josh, still, just about, yeah. yeah. Apologies for no pod last week, everybody. Um, work came on top a little bit for me. Also, my lad was turning 18. So I had some, I had some stuff to do to make it as special as I could for him. And by <laughs> special... And get pissed with his mates, you mean? Well, by special, I meant facilitated him getting twatted on a mix of champagne, Heineken and spice rum by six in the afternoon. Nice. Spewing nice. by eight o'clock, asleep oh, by nine o'clock, awake again at ten o'clock, with a bit of a rally, but it. then in for the night by 11. Well, I mean, you've got a... Your ability to rally at these situations, it, it, it's, it's like any muscle, you've got to train it, you know? He's got a lot of learning to do, yeah. <laughs> he has got a lot of learning to do. <laughs> well, when you start on fizzy wine at 12 in the afternoon, 
it's no disgrace to get through to six. But the funniest <laughs> thing was is that we we gave, and I know you shouldn't in lockdown times and all that, but we gave permission for his girlfriend to come round. Fair enough. In the evening, and so she came round at seven o'clock when he was the pissedest thing you've ever seen in your life. Bless him. <laughs> it's good for a relationship, though. You know, if she can see him in that state and not be sort of utterly repulsed or disappointed or ashamed, or, you know, all of those things, but to an acceptable degree, then yeah. they're fine. Well, he seems to have got through it. And at one point, he was, like, passing out, and she was, like, stroking his head and looking at him lovingly. I thought, fucking hell. <laughs> fucking hell, here we go. Here we go. Jesus. <laughs> Long time since I remember that happening. I don't think I ever remember that happening. But uh... <laughs> so that was me last week. What have you been up to, Josh, in in your pod last um, week? Fuck all, really. To be honest, same old, same old. Well, like everybody, know. I've been watching the Last Dance. Have you watched it? Uh, bits and bobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a real portrait of how you've got to be a right arsehole to be really good at sport. Where are you up to in it? Uh, third, I think, episode, something like that. Yeah, I text my mate after about three or four episodes and just said, I'll be honest, I didn't know much about Johnson other, other than his greatness. I didn't know much about him, you know. Yeah. And after the end of it, I said, I, I fucking hate, I don't, there's not a single thing about him I like. Even his cigars no. wind me up. <laughs> and uh, But then as you get he further on, you start to soften a bit. You start to soften a bit. He smokes a cigar in a way that I can only describe as smug. <laughs> You're right. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a degree to which anybody that's smoking a cigar is smoking it quite smugly because they are inherently quite ostentatious. But the way Jordan does it, there's just a certain self satisfaction there. Which, to be fair, arguably greatest athlete that's ever lived, he's allowed to be quite pleased with himself. And yeah, but... and it's, it's the fact he has he has it with that six button gigantic comedy clown suit. As well, yeah. the, I can't. I mean, yeah. how can people that rich wear clothes like? I know it was the nineties, but <laughs> but still, somebody should have mentioned something there. Yeah, about they're obviously tailor made those things, aren't they? Yeah, they're tailor made to look like they're about six sizes too big. It's the, it's the, it's. The, I mean, what you're probably talking the trousers are the thing for me. You're probably talking an eighteen inch bottom on those trousers all the way up <laughs> to a very tight athletic waist. That's the other thing that kind of throws you off. It's the thing I can't, like, I get it. Like, you know, I was there in the 90s, but I still don't understand what we were thinking fashion-wise. Like, some of the stuff has obviously come back. You know, the sort of 90s patterns and all that stuff. Yeah, my kids are banging to it. Tina, my 16 and 18-year-old kids are, oh, they're all over it. Turn of the Y2K 1990s, as they call it. Yeah. However, what hasn't come back is suits that look like they don't fit and... Fucking massive trousers, like the <laughs> cut. The cut is still relatively. Yes. Like. <laughs> I don't remember them being that big. Yeah. If you want to watch a kind of a kind of perfect example of not like crazy voluminous suits like those lads are wearing, but awful suits to watch. If you watch The Wire, every mm. suit in The Wire is appalling. Every trouser, yeah. the 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 amount. I'm sorry to get technical. The the amount of break on the trouser. The bit on yeah. the trousers, on the shoes, is fucking staggering on the, in the wire. And these are like it's politicians. Bizarre. It is bizarre how quickly suit couture and sort of suit tailoring kind of vault-faced between sort of about 2012, maybe 2013. Like Mad Men, it? Yeah, basically Mad Men started, and then everybody started tailoring their suits like it was the 1960s again, and I think we're all better off for it. Mad Men and suits, that's... 
the program suits. It's program sheets, yeah, yeah. Whereas there was, there was, there was the young lad in that who didn't have a law degree wore English type tailoring, and then the other lad that his boss wore Italian type tailoring, which was ridiculous, massive lapels and everything, <laughs> and too much shape and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, that's the last dance. It's about basketball, not suits. By the way, you would be surprised to know. But you would, a... you would be, who would have thought that of you know one of the arguably one of the, the best sporting documentaries of, of recent years that we would find the thing that we want to talk about it about is tailoring it's very us it's very on brand i think we've said before but we're saying again the best thing about it really and if you have got the time ladies and gentlemen and you like you you, you, your appetite is whetted by this if you're not into basketball try and find a 30 for 30 about that absolute shithouse detroit pistons team because it's fucking brilliant because they are probably my favorite sports team ever so um (laughs) Yeah, so I've watched that. Um, obviously, my best friend and, and you know Jason Isbell's album, new album came out on Friday, so I've listened to that about five times in the past few days. <laughs> it's decent. It's a good record. It is a good record. do not make bad records. Yeah. Even if you don't love him like me, I understand people don't. It's hard to say he makes a bad record because he doesn't. Yeah. Um, and also then I got me... I wanted to watch a bit more American sports stuff, so I watched Last Chance You. Have you seen that? I have, yeah. Yeah. And it got me, and I started saying this on Twitter last night, it got me into that thing where I started to get increased, my piss got onto a rolling boil <laughs> about how ridiculous American sport is. Because there was this one lad in that, if, you, if you've seen it, do you remember the lad in the first, I've only I got have. the first series, DJ Law. Yes. He was a running back, he had a kid, his dad had been to prison. He was quite frankly, and I'm not being audible, he was thick as shit, right? He was doing his best, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he wasn't the brightest lad in the world. Brilliantly talented lad. And basically couldn't get anywhere because... Because of this stupid academic thing, whereas his yeah. talent was his sport, so and he has no way of leveraging that into earning money for his family without going down this complete fucking closed shop racket that the NCAA have got. It's unbelievable. Oh, the, one one of the worst things if you're somebody that is any way bothered or irritated by rampant unfairness and exploitation of. <laughs> particularly low-income poor people in a sporting scenario. The worst thing you can do is engage with anything that makes you aware of the NCAA, <laughs> which is, frankly, one of the most corrupt and vile cartels in, in all of the fucking world, let alone, not worry just sport, just everything. A billion-dollar industry on the backs of people who can't even fucking get a sponsorship deal without voiding their fucking chances of playing professionally. It's fucking despicable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So I just, I, and I was yeah. like, well, so what they've effectively done in America, in my mind, is that they've created the equivalent of the British soccer professional football pyramid, but mm. with colleges. So imagine yeah. that in in football, if if instead of instead of Huddersfield Town and stuff, you had Huddersfield University. Yeah, that that's what it would be. Except you yeah. couldn't get paid while you were there, and if you tried to get paid while you were there, you'd be drummed out of the sport forever. And if you can't get there in the first place, then it's, there are huge there are huge parallels with the amateur era in rugby, where you know the people upstairs are making money hand over fist as you're selling out fucking eighty thousand seat stadiums every month, but the people who are actually putting the work in and creating the product don't get a single penny for their labour. But with the added thing on that, they have to somehow pretend to be academic even if they're not to the point where they're regularly cheating or getting tutored so much that somebody's basically doing their work for them because that's the only way that they can survive 
it's just it's an appalling fucking system. And that there frankly. is no choice. You can't go, no, that's not for me, actually. Can I just have a contract now at the age of 18, please? Yeah, which is how it works in basketball and because um, LeBron James never went to college. And in basketball, they can you can they got rid of the thing that you had to go to college. Right. Um, sort of, yeah, about 15, 20 years ago. So you can declare straight from high school. And go straight into the draft. So a player like Ron James goes, well, I absolutely don't need to go to college mm. for three years to tell you that I'm a transcendent generational talent. Would you just like me anyway? And so yes. yeah, but with the with the NFL, yeah, with the NFL and with I think in baseball you got the, the main, well. and you got the minor leagues in baseball, haven't you? There's ways you can earn money. I think not. Yeah, the minor. Anyway. Yeah, the minor leagues in baseball are another weird thing. That are sort of basically just like substitute. But I just found myself more than anything, I just reflect. It just found myself fuming, and it's like effectively, like you said, the NCAA it seems have created a professional sports pyramid that they don't actually have to pay people for. Yeah, and, and in fact, they don't even have to pay for it because boosters will fund it anyway. Yeah, it's so bizarre. It, there's so much. There's so much shadiness going on behind the scenes with boosters and all that sort of stuff, paying players under the table because they need to fucking put food on the table and support families in a lot of cases. Um, but the second they get caught, as you say, they just get drummed out, and that's the last you ever see of them. Whereas college, you know, it's a big like a big time college football coaches are paid something like twenty, thirty million dollars a season. And God and knows their players what they are paid, and their players are paid. Nothing. And God knows what the endorsement deals the college are getting from all everything. Well, actually, funny oh, enough, when I was in Nashville last year, I went to the 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 is it it's the Crimson Tide? No, Tennessee yeah, yeah, Stadium. Yeah. That was that. It's oh, Alabama's going to Yeah, Tennessee Stadium in Nashville, which is got a which is is Nissan fucking something or other. Yeah, the Nissan Stadium. Yeah. So somebody's getting which... a slice of that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming it's the um, Titans so... as well, is it? But I don't know. So yeah. Um... The revenue, the University of Alabama's athletics, which is primarily the football uh, program, which has been very, very good for a long time, uh, their total revenue was $177 million last season. Um, it's just for the athletics program and a $48 million profit. So when they take out the $30 million for the coach and all of the money that they spent, they still made $50 million fucking dollars. Are you telling me you can't last... get your, your top... Players just give them fifty grand a year or something, just so they can just actually... pay them, just pay them a living wage. Yeah, and actually, whatever, in fact, whatever you're paying for the degree, I know it's anyway. We could go on forever. It's unbelievable. It's yeah. peace, yeah. and also it is that thing. If you are, I mean, I know they fudge a lot of this academic stuff, but if you are literally completely stupid, and there's nothing wrong with that, some people are, right? Yeah, but you're fucking brilliant at football. Yeah. Then you should be allowed to go and earn some. You should have a route to go and earn money. What a joke. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Where were we? Oh yeah, anyway, so moving on, so, yeah. and then even more of that. Then, of course, then the Bundesliga. We did have some sport this weekend because the Bundesliga was back. Did you did you I'll partake you what, of any of it? Cared, I've never cared more about German football than I did uh, at two, up past two on Saturday afternoon. Did you uh, find yourself a team, or did you already have a team? I had to go through all um, this Saturday well, morning. Yeah, I mean, I've been over to Germany a couple of times to watch various teams. Um, so I, I had a choice of picking either. Werder Bremen or Fortuna Dusseldorf, both of whom are in the relegation zone. So I just went for Fortuna because they, I don't know why really, I just tossed a coin. So I'm, I'm looking forward to a, a brilliant relegation scrap. Well, I read a bit about Union Berlin. I thought they look all right. I'll go for them. 
stadium's Excellent. called the Stadium by the Old Forester's House or something. And then <laughs> Cammy Black from the from the Scottish Rugby Mob podcast, he, he sent me this that flowchart thing, and he said they were mm. hipster. I was like, I'm not fucking having anything to do with that. So I went I went <laughs> for SC Paderborn instead, who looked who looked both shit and slightly mental. So I quite like that. And, that, yeah. and then a photo of the town centre looked like Warrington. I thought, yeah, that's definitely Mount Street. <laughs> so um, the and the thing is, then I got a lot of. Sh- I, I refused Union because they're hipster. And somebody said to me, refusing something, or a couple of people said to me, refusing something because it's hipster is even more hipster than hipster. And, well, I politely disagree, right? Because, for example, I would rather eat, and this is genuine, right? I would rather eat in the food court of Ellesmere Port Market. And food court's a very generous t- description. Mm. than an independent coffee shop or an artisan sandwich outfit. I would genuinely rather go and have <laughs> chips it's and gravy in Ellesmere Port Market and watch the people in there. It's all about what you're comfortable with. And frankly, while, you know, while I've, I've you know, I veer between hipster and not in, in the things that I enjoy and like, you know, I, I'm a man of quite simple, humble tastes a lot of the time. And I, 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 I don't like fancy things. And hipster in football is particularly bad. That's the other thing, you know what yeah. I mean? Well, All these people discovered how... fucking tactics books in the last ten years. You know what I mean? <laughs> you read what you, you you get. You read fucking inverting the pyramid once, and then there's. <laughs> well, the original <laughs> one was flat back four by Andy Gray, but nobody mentions that anymore, do they? <laughs> but a couple of years ago, it's really interesting how in sort of profile of the Bundesliga, you know, fucking like. Bruce Dortmund were the hipster fucking football team of choice a couple of years ago. Now they're too fucking big. They're too big deal. Now you've got to have Union Berlin in their first season in the Bundesliga being the hipsters fucking... Well, I've got to be honest, I watched Bayern Union Berlin yesterday. <laughs> Union Berlin are a right bunch of fucking cartels versions. How they're a hipster football team. I know they're a hipster football team because of everything around it but the style of football they play is absolutely fucking not they are the fucking stoke of the bundesliga from what i've seen the um we see foot german football's always been a little bit hipster anyway because they still have standing don't they yeah which they, is great they by don't the way. um they don't um they don't charge much for tickets and make a big point about this I remember the the chairman of bayern saying yeah we could charge people 70 quid a ticket and we make an extra 2 million euros a year but to be honest, two million euros in a tra- we, you know, we 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 dismiss that in two seconds in a transfer negotiation. It makes no difference to us, but it makes a difference to them. And it's like yes, and yeah, all all the clubs are like whatever it is, forty nine percent fan owned or fifty one percent fan owned or whatever that is. And honestly, going to watch German football as a, a spectator experience is fucking brilliant. And their subscription TV is about three quid a month. Anyway, Josh, enough of this. I suppose we do need to actually try and get <laughs> I mean, on the we, podcast at some point. We haven't even spoken about player spotted yet, which is, I think, as you always say, is is is, is how where we, we traditionally begin. start yeah. the podcast. So, if you want to get in touch with us, we haven't even got to that bit yet. If you want to get in touch with us and tell us to please get on with it more quickly next time, I'm at Blood and yeah. Mud, and I'm Lee at Blood and Mud dot com. And I, what about you, uh, Josh Gardner? And yeah, like, I think you know what it is because you forgot to to put out the request for shit good. Yeah. And and until like two minutes before the podcast started, so you're basically we're just giving people a chance to get That's their suggestions is. in. Yeah, yeah, have yeah, a look, yeah, think. yeah. We'll have a look in a minute. See yeah. some pearlers in there. Um, we're on Acast, <laughs> iTunes, we're on Patreon.com/slash/BloodandMud. Thank you to everybody who gives us support and continues to give it in these uh, difficult times. Um, we've had a couple of people come to the VIP lounge, and since we were last on, 
Joshua Jenkins. Thank you, Joshua. That name sounds like a really talented fullback. He was just a little bit too small to play at the highest level. <laughs> I don't know if that's where you are, yeah. Joshua. That's what it sounds like. And also in the VIP lounge is Phil Robinson. And now that's a name of somebody who sounds like they did make it to the highest level but had no right to. Yes. Or somebody who sort of played a couple of games of Super Rugby for an Australian team in the late 1990s. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and a very boring haircut. <laughs> if that's you, Phil, welcome. If even that isn't you, Phil, still welcome. Indeed. Whatever well, you look like. We're just, in fact, I might play this game now. People who join the VIP... If you join a VIP, you get us to riff on what your name sounds like, as well yeah. as having your name said. What, which kind of rugby player? Four hundred people deserting the VIP lounge. <laughs> yeah. Now we begin, Josh, as we always begin <laughs> with a player spotting. Uh, yeah. Simon Brooker DMs. He says he's got a COVID nineteen player spotted. Intriguing. Hello. He Hello. says, I was contemplating my work-from-home routine when I spotted Johnny McNichol at 9.30am pushing a lawnmower up my street. He was in full rugby stash with a rucksack. Is this a new form of functional training? Asked Simon Brooker. <laughs> Look, now, Simon, I need to know. Somehow. Brand, of, brand of mower, yeah. power source, mower. electric yeah. or petrol, or battery, which I know is electric. On. I'm sure you would be pushing a sit-on motor, would you? You'd be riding. Well, can you, are you allowed to ride one of those up the street? You know, you can do anything now. Mm, fair enough. You'll get fined <laughs> for it, but you'll get yeah. fined for it. But you get fined for everything. Just leaving your house, you get fined for. So you might as well sit on a sit on a lawnmower <laughs> and make it interesting. <laughs> so there you go. Thank you very much, Simon, for that. Johnny yeah, McNichol pushing a lawnmower. Yeah, I do want to know the deets though. But I mean, get, I mean, get, I'm assuming that's in Wales because obviously. Johnny McNichol plays yeah. for La Scarlets. Yeah. And, you know, garden centres have only... Was it this week? We're, we're, par, we're, we're, you know, we're parking these up, so mm. I'm not sure when this was sent, because if it wasn't this week, what was it? has he been to a garden centre to get that? Because they weren't open yeah. till this week. Or, or, I mean, was it was it classed as an essential item from B&Q? Because that doesn't sound essential to me. Not sound essential to me at all. However, <laughs> or it could have been local Facebook group, because there's a lot uh... of petrol-type tools come up in fact i got rid of a petrol streamer this week which i couldn't fucking get to start and i got i lost my shit with it so much i sold it for 20 quid <laughs> honest to god the work you know the worst thing you know most things when you can't get them to work like a computer you'll think what, what's, what's happening here? you can go and have a look yeah. and you can uninstall and reinstall it and check this and check that an engine right yeah, yeah. you turn it on you prime yeah. it you pull yeah. the fucking cord doesn't start you do that choke pull choke pull and then what you do is you spend about 90 minutes just standing up and looking at it with your hands on your hips. Going. Going. And then just repeating what you've done. Turn on. <laughs> prime it. Is it, is it flooded now? Is it flooded? I don't stop. even know what flooded means, but apparently it might have happened. <laughs> you don't even know. Like, it's not If you started taking it apart... That's just going to make things worse. Well, I, I started looking at YouTube videos then. You know, like sometimes you look oh, at YouTube videos about doing your, eye, like doing your iPhone screen and you go, fuck it, yeah, yeah. no chance. Just yeah. to undo these 17 tiny, <laughs> tiny things. You know, like, what you could do is, is, was it break the carburetor down and rebuild it? Whoa, right, okay, fuck <laughs> off. I could just this about restring like the guitar. This sounds like I'm buying anyone. <laughs> this sounds like this is going and 
you know, cos of China, I can get a new one for a relatively reasonable price. So, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah so there you go. So, he's, so the, yeah. yeah, he's probably getting that off his Facebook group, wasn't he? Anyway, now the news, Josh. News, news, news. Yeah. It's been a couple of weeks since we were on. Anyway, you can't get on a fucking Facebook group right at the moment. What? Or indeed from anywhere else. Is some sort of fucking weights bench. Any kind of fitness equipment at the moment, fucking gone. Well, not Quite true, because you got yourself a, a, a very nice... I did, I did get myself... Equipped for from Dominic, equipped for James. He's a lovely man and a lovely company. He's a lovely man. He, he sorted me right out. However, I have had a look at how much his weight benches cost, and they're yeah, a bit out of my price. Ones <laughs> Professional ones. Well, you see, if I'd have known, Josh, right, because when I was doing my garage, when I was doing my kitchen, yeah. I decided I needed to sort my garage out, and I've had, yeah, yeah. no word of a lie, a squat rack... In my garage that I've used once since I bought it three years ago. And in the end, I thought, there's a skip here. I've had enough of this. Live in the now. Accept the truth. And I broke it down, lobbed it in the skip. If I'd have known you were looking for a bit of functional fitness stuff, I could have... Or you could buy a lawnmower off your local Facebook group and walk up or down the street with it like Johnny McNichol's doing in his uh, (laughs) lockdown. uh. Can I sit on that, though? Can I sit on that and do bicep curls? I would have thought I mean, so. I could, I suppose. You could do some yeah. tricep dips, couldn't you, by sort of leaning yeah, on the yeah, engine yeah. part of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't lean on the handle bit, because that just seems... That'd be silly. That'd, that'd be a fail yeah. army video waiting to happen, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> Absolutely would. Anyway, fuck me. This is uh, a new level of... Di- like, my, uh, I can't even... We digress. What, my, the digression. I'm sorry, while I'm on live, it's Father's Day in June, isn't it? And yeah. my kids know to wind me up because my daughter's just sent me a text saying, do you want this for Father's Day? And it's a Joe Wicks fitness book. And I cannot tell you. I mean, you can probably guess, but I can't, I can't. I find it hard to explain the visceral rage that just the sight of Joe Wicks brings me out in. It's, it's a particularly... I, I don't... Like, it's one of those things that's absolutely passed me by as somebody that doesn't have any children and is still working nine to five every day it's like what like i'm aware of it but i don't understand why this is suddenly captivating the nation when there's loads of fitness videos on youtube and there have been for fucking ages and he's just this really irritating chatty curly haired thing oh the worst kind he's like the jamie oliver of fitness (laughs) so no doubt he's going to sack all his employees by text (laughs) At some point in the future. I was going to say, I'm sure that you mean that he's going to reveal himself to be a rank hypocrite. Yes. It's about he says to be a massive tongue shit house like uh, Jamie Oliver did. <laughs> um, anyway, well, we, sorry, we were going to do news. That was the news that my daughter's trying yeah, to. Yeah. Wind, but yeah, that's that's my kids yeah. winding me up while I'm on yeah. the pod. Anyway, news. Um, rugby's back. That's my first bit of news. Not yet, but soon. Super- yeah, Super Rugby in, in New Zealand in this, uh, will be in, what is it, the 13th of June? Something 13th, like that? Yeah. I'm already Super Rugby Atarea. Atarea, yeah. Uh, it makes me feel fluffier side, to be honest. Um, until, actually, the moment that I realised that in the same way that other countries who are much further down the line relaxing lockdown rules and all that sort of stuff seem to have turned people in this country into insane end-the-lockdown lunatics. Um the second that a ball is kicked in New Zealand, you're going to get people in Europe demanding that the Premiership season starts again instantly. So, I mean, I can always, I will always find that cloud in any blue sky, and there it is. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of uh, you know things that are abroad, 
Um, mm. In a development about a surprise and his Callum Clark being a bit of a shit, uh, the summer tours have been postponed. Yeah, Kel surprise. Yeah, I mean, postponed. Obviously... That's doing a lot of work. That that word, isn't it? <laughs> that word is laying a lot of fucking pipe. <laughs> yes, isn't it? It's postponed. Bracket. Yeah, forever. Cancelled is blind copied in. The um, yeah. Also speaking of abroad, Johan Ackerman is off to Japan. He's leaving Gloucester and he's off to Japan yes, he is. with so Thanks many other people. Um, do you know the most fun part about this actually is that um, that apparently in in leading the chase to be Ackerman's replacement at Gloucester is none other than your friend and mine and the friend of Rugby Chaos, Rob Howley. Brilliant. Who's who I believe his gambling ban ends like this week or next week, something oh like God, that. Oh, do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> remember when Rob Howley got banned for fucking betting on a load of rugby games? <laughs> it feels like seven million years ago. It was no, it was like January or December or something. Um, yes. So he uh, apparently he's in the hot seat to be the new uh, number one. Uh, Picture, Gloss- if you will, the visage, the vignette you'll yeah. see when it comes back. Of him and David Humphreys in, in the same, both in big coats, in equally oversized Rob, coats Rob, with equally yeah, far away looks in their eyes. Yeah. Rob with his can of full fat coke, full fat coke at all times. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I can't wait. So Ackerman's off to Japan, where I imagine the fish finger game is next fucking level in Japan. Oh, I've not been, but you can see why he's going. Yeah, because we know he's like I mean, he's they... a bugger for the fish fingers. I imagine they've got the variety they must have over there. I mean, you, that one's made out of like all sorts, you know. Even yeah. probably if you have, like one of them comes out of the toilet, probably who knows? Is fucking probably yeah. They probably do that. that thing where they, you know, they make the fish finger in front of you. You know, it's and then I mean, who knows? I haven't, I haven't been. I want to go. But well, that's you know. why Johan's going. I mean, it was a reasonable yeah. offer, but then when they put a fish finger clause in, then he was away. So um, <laughs> if the fish finger clause isn't the name of this episode, I'll be very disappointed. Just making a note of that. <laughs> Um, the fish finger, didn't the fish finger claws like a sort of electronic rock band in the early? I oh know that was the Cooper Temple claws. Sorry, yeah. Um, so anyway, speaking, the miners' report. Yeah, while we're on now, the Premiership, the miners' report, yeah. which is not to do with people oh, well. who work underground, it's Lord Miners' review yeah. into the the salary cap. And I think, is it fair to say that just it's just what a fucking clusterfuck this is in massive yeah, letters, it's a fucking mess. With, with lots of appendices report. and flowcharts. Yeah, not the report. The report itself is very thorough. Yes. The, the, He's not mocking about, what no. The, what the report lays out is, holy fuck, um, the salary cap and finance in English rugby for the last God knows how long has been a fucking Wild West shit show. <laughs> and, like, the fact that the guy doing the investigating couldn't find out the details. Do you remember when Saracens and that other club got given... Um, very nearly got braked yeah. before the board, but then there was a confidential settlement in 2015 at the last minute. He doesn't. He was unable to get any information as to what that settlement, like anything, the terms of that settlement, the terms of the breach. The man who was fucking investigating the salary cap issue couldn't get any information about the second and third most serious and high-profile breaches to have occurred in that. It's fucking staggering, and it just shows what, like, how shambolic this whole thing has been, and how absolutely devoid of power the bloody salary cap manager guy 
has been and how it's just a fucking like all the stuff that he recommends is mainly just stuff where you go what yeah. It should be trans- it should allowed- be a transparent process. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, you with your be- crazy yeah. fucking ideas. <laughs> Calm down. See why you get the big money, miners. Yeah, I mean it's it's unsurprisingly, um, you know, his recommendations about things like potentially getting rid of the marquee player rule and stuff like that has gone down like a fart in and ch- and reducing the salary craft has gone down like a fart in the lift with some people including Steve Lansdowne who has already come out with a statement and basically gone yes we won't be doing that one um which to be fair did you did you see the Bristol Bears um social media guy with the with 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 the with Garrett Powell oh yeah I mean whoever it was a a corporate social media guy saying try writing that again without crying is is it's next we, level we, kind we, of piss taking. We've, spoke, we've spoken on this before, but Bristol Bears Twitter game is next level good. Um, and them and the barbarians are kind of cleaning up on this stuff. They absolutely are. But um, yeah, so he's come out and basically gone. Um, well, we've got commitments to all of these players that are multi-year commitments that are based on the the marquee player rules. So if you, uh, we won't be changing that anytime soon. Thank yeah, you very much. The thing is, it, there's a bit of kind of, you know, parrying with this, isn't there? But the fact is, is that of course you'd have to say, well, obviously existing contracts will have to be yeah. in place and they well, won't be renegotiated and so on. Ultimately, Steve Lansdowne is a rich man who wants to pump a fuckload of money into rugby, you know, in order to win stuff. And people get pissed off about that. But, you know, that's his prerogative to want to do. And these rich people tend not to take well, as, as we have discovered with another rich person with uh, a very fondness for, you know, having pictures on his, his, his floor. Um, you know, if you tell a, a rich man that he can't spend his money in a way he wants, he tends to find a way. And there's that angle to it as well, where, you know, telling these rich dudes that they can't spend as much money anymore is not going to fucking fix this problem. So have we have we heard I've lost track of whether we've heard from Premiership Rugby whether they're going to implement all of the recommendations in full which you normally do with these types of things From catching the bus for a family adventure taking a tram to work hopping in a taxi for your big night out or simply relaxing on the train for your next shopping trip Transport for Ireland is here to reconnect you with all you've missed and everything you want to do Please do mask up. Use a TFI Leap card where possible, respect each other and be patient so we can all travel safely. Reconnect with the Transport for Ireland network. Ah, Christmas. A time of caring, sharing and compromises. Like deciding which presents make your list or which in-laws you're going to for dinner. But with Unpost Mobile, there are no contracts, no bills and no compromises. Just unlimited calls, texts and a whopping 50 gigabytes of 4G data with 99% population coverage. All for only €15 a month and you get the first month free when you switch. Switch to Unpost Mobile today and shop our range, including the Samsung A02S from 129.95 at unpost.com forward slash mobile or at your local post office. Unpost Mobile, for your world. 15 euro unlimited available for new customers. Fair usage policy applies. For terms and conditions, see onpost.com forward slash mobile. Yeah, it's interesting to see kind of how, you know, because it's what 10 out of the 12 teams need to agree to anything 
but Premiership Rugby are keeping understandably quite mm. quiet about all this stuff. However, there was a report from the Times just before um, we came on air where it was reporting that various Premiership clubs are um, already asking slash trying to cajole their players to make the 25% salary cuts that they all agreed to over COVID to make those permanent, which, um, yeah. <laughs> Remember how... Whatever the rights and wrongs of anything are, right, now is not the time to be making permanent decisions about anything. No. I mean, the first thing that I would be asking if I was a fucking... I mean, for starters, but by the time anyone is listening to this, I would imagine, unless you're listening to it today, um, if the Rugby Players Association hasn't come out with a very strongly worded statement saying that, you know, while players are happy to get into a narrative, you know, into a, a, a dialogue with club owners about, you know, how we can make the game more sustainable, that the players absolutely shouldn't be taking, you know, the full force of being expected to carry the can for all the money that they've lost. And I would want hard and fast fucking evidence that everybody you know, a board and senior level at clubs is also taking a 25% pay cut and permanently if I was doing it as well. Um, if that hasn't happened, <laughs> and if the RPA hasn't come out and said something like that, expect Ellis Genge's fucking <laughs> can you hear the people sing? Right, yeah. Wait till Genge gets to, hold of this. To be, to be set up literally by the time we're recording next week. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because it's mad shit. You know, as you say, they're, they're trying... Something that has been sort of spoken about a lot in my industry and probably even fucking more so in yours over the course of this coronavirus crisis is that a lot of what has happened in this from a financial businessy kind of point of view has just dramatically accelerated stuff that was happening anyway. And should have been happening that people have been a little should, bit... Yeah, yeah, should have been needed a nudge on, yeah. Yeah, and some things that shouldn't have been happening, you know, and it's made things that were already in, you know, things that are already in decline have gone into much faster decline than things that and all that sort of stuff. And... It feels like Premiership Rugby is trying to do the same thing here, where it's gone, well, we we're going to have to deal with this sort of player salary issue eventually anyway, so let's just fucking kick it into turbo here and see if we can get them to take a fucking quarter of their pay cut across the board and see how they fucking swallow that, which, as you say, to do it now of all times just feels fucking... No. What are they thinking, really? They don't even know when, you know, they could be playing rugby again in a couple of months. A couple of weeks, even, you know? Fucking when Steve Diamond's got sales training already, for some reason. When was this agreed, then? I was on the team's call last Friday. You were on it. Or oh, you must have dropped out. Sorry, I didn't realise. <laughs> <laughs> it was all agreed, yeah. Yeah. We ran a poll on teams. You're not voting it. <laughs> um, oh, you should have. You should have. <laughs> right, so, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Ben yeah. Franks is off to is off to Scarlet's to be a coach. Yeah, and the great Brit, the great Welsh rugby public have taken it very, very well. Yeah, you'd think. Not anybody who's saying, by the way, that people that we engage with on in on in Welsh rugby Twitter world and stuff, sane people yeah. are okay. But it's that mass populace of Welsh rugby public that still think that you know a, a ten stone fly half with a sidestep can do the fucking job. You know. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people. I mean, it's weird given that you know. Franks is one of the, you know, better props to have played the game in the last sort of 10 or 15 years. To have him as a, somebody providing wisdom and expertise to the Scarlet's pack should surely be quite a good thing. But apparently, 
because he's not Welsh, um, that's somehow awful. Because there's a real, and I get it, there's a real thing in Wales where there's people are really pissed off that there aren't any good Welsh coaches out there. And the problem is that whenever anybody brings up Welsh coaches that are so apparently good that aren't like currently being employed anywhere and deserve a go before these foreigners do, is people like Lynn Howells. And God love him, but fucking hell, there's a reason that he's not in charge of a bloody premiership team. He still has at least 10 Eastern European club nations to go through, yeah? Has he, has he coached Azerbaijan yet? Yeah. It's like, what do you want? You know, Mike Ruddock's in charge of the Ospreys now. You know, Dai Young will not be unemployed for long, I would imagine. But, you know, it's, it's just, it's this... Welsh, you know, we must put Welsh before anything else. Into, you know, we have to do that with players. Yeah, we don't have to do that with coaches. Yeah. If they're not fucking good enough, don't fucking hire them. And there is a question about are they not, why they're not coming through good enough, and that's a question to direct to the WIU. Don't blame the Scarlets. Yeah. And don't blame yeah. Warren Gatlin. It's a weird thing. Well, another example <laughs> yeah. that Gatlin's period has felt, what? Because <laughs> he hasn't brought through people to replace him. Yeah, no, I think he was too busy He's... just making us more successful than we've ever been in our fucking And when he wasn't history. doing that, he was on the phone to his son. Yeah. He was yeah. on the phone to Bryn, trying to, you know, bridge yeah, that, guy... t- trying to mend the thousand splintered pieces of his shattered heart. <laughs> and now he's, you know, dancing at barbecues after on Wasn't TikTok. that wonderful? So... I fucking love that. We didn't talk about that, did we? It actually happened. We didn't. But... It's how made up his daughter clearly is as well that he's getting stuck in. Ugh. It's just, it was it was touching in a variety of ways. Loved it. I'm sorry to be the shallow guy. I've probably said this before, but how is it that his daughter looks exactly like him <laughs> and yet is a very attractive woman <laughs> and doesn't have this work? massive square concrete looking head like he's got, <laughs> although she does. It's very odd. Just, yeah, it is weird. I, the thing that I loved more than anything else about that Gatman video was that he was, you know, pissed and barbecuing, which was great. But he was doing so wearing 2017 Lions Tour gym shorts that were had been washed so many times that the Lions badge on the left-hand side had basically just... You know when you like a badge wears off and there's just like an outline of where it used to be? <laughs> there was that. It's like... He was earning... Like, he was the highest-paid coach in the world until, like, six months ago. And he's washing his. Sh- he's wearing a pair of shorts and washing them so many times that the fucking logo comes off. I love that. I bet That's he wouldn't fucking... fucking support Union Berlin either because they're too hipster. Exactly. He'd be with me in Ellesmere Port fucking market, <laughs> having chips and beans and sausage. Indeed. Right then, that's the end of the news, is it? There's nothing else, is there? Fucking hell, it better be. Yeah. Now, we didn't mention the top, but we, as part of what we're going to talk about today, we were going to do a bit of a kind of, well, we call it a rugby seven, don't we? But we were just going to talk about, have a bit of a reflection on some great arguments that have happened in the history of rugby. Yes, and we? there have been some blinders, let's face it. We've gathered them together, and we're just going to have a bit of a chat about a few of them. So where do we, yeah. where do we, where do we want to start? I feel like I want to start with Will Carlin versus the RFU. Right. Because it's absolutely... Basically, because it ties into what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with building Jerusalem, where, you know, let's not be around. Will Carlin is an insufferable arsehole, right? But Jesus wept. He was on the side of the angels with that one, wasn't he? He gets into this dispute. It was, you know, we watched the building Jerusalem doc. We saw what the, w, the RFU committee 
were like. Well, it's this man Dudley Wood, isn't it? Who props yeah. up in this argument again? It's but this is back in 1995, if you don't remember, yes, it is. So, yeah. when obviously the transition to professionalism is is starting to happen. And to be honest, Will Carlin's been banging the drum about how ridiculous it is that <laughs> all this money swashes around, and they have to. I mean, they were getting paid, weren't they? Let's be honest, but they they weren't getting paid in any open way, which means they couldn't negotiate in any realistic ways to what it is they wanted. And he basically made a huge point around the biggest enemy to a lot of this stuff is um is the vested interest of the committee men. Yeah. And then called them some mildly unpleasant things, which, I mean, it's very tame by modern standards, isn't he, it? He says, if the game is run properly as a professional game, you don't need 57 old farts running rugby, which is a reference to the committee, of course, which was, I'm assuming, all the local, the head of all the local unions. Yeah, almost certainly. In, in that, in the way Wales was until about ten years ago, basically. But, uh, Wait, well, the way Wales was until about last year. Until the creation of the five entities, <laughs> which we still don't know but what like, they are. But yeah, the best part is that he says that, which you know is is punchy, hmm. but it's the sort of thing that in this day and age, somebody, you know, there would be words had behind closed doors, and the matter would be closed. That's yeah, after it had gone viral on social media for about seven hours. Obviously, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, he gets fucking sacked for it. <laughs> he not only gets sacked, he gets sacked, what is it, three weeks before the fucking Rugby World Cup? Can you imagine yeah. anybody having... Like, it's insane. It's brilliant, but it's absolutely insane. So it's, and the it, best part... This yeah, is the reaction, wasn't it, to Dudley Wood? saying that players were cheating by abandoning the amateur principles, basically. Yeah. Which goes back to Dudley Wood was in the opening scenes of Building Jerusalem in a full tux, saying that money is a corrosive influence on the game while he was in a full tux, having, you know, (laughs) swan and and chips with his mates, you know. (laughs) So, uh, you know, the irony wasn't lost. So, obviously, and Carly's like fed up, and, and Carly makes a point in Building Jerusalem, doesn't he, and says... They keep saying it's just it's recreation and, and and pastime or whatever. He said, but you don't have a World Cup for something that's just a bit of a recreational pastime. You don't have yeah. seventy five thousand people turning up for this. Let's get real, you know. Yeah, it's it's remarkable, really, and and yeah. So the the the, the RFU committee kicks right off, and um, and decides to sack Will Carling Threeps for the World Cup, and then. There is, I mean, it's arguably the first time that the Tweedy old fucks of the RFU probably ever had to sort of in any way engage with a public backlash of any kind because there's a huge public outcry. Because, you know, let's not be honest, you know, Carling was one of the best players in the world at this point. And captain and, of his country. And captain of his country. And so, yeah, basically there's a huge public backlash and the RFU then instantly has to climb down and reinstate him. And, you know, in terms of a sort of player power sort of setting out how things are going to be going forward, like it wasn't, it was a step in the the direction that, you know, things might ultimately end up in, even if, you know, there was a lot of fucking stuff to go over since, you know, to get past before players could rightly feel like they were getting their voices heard and arguably fucking still can't, let's be honest. But Don't forget they were on strike five years after this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But it, it set it set the tone, I think, for the early days of amateurism, where all of a sudden these people that have basically never had to really do anything that they didn't feel like doing, all of a sudden had 
public, you know, had media and public backlash and player power and all this stuff to deal with straight off the bat. It was interesting from Carney's point of view as well, because I mean, he was an establishment man, wasn't he? He'd come out of the army, oh, fuck yeah, officer in the army, come out of the army to be a to be playing rugby. You know, everything about him said establishment. His dad was, yeah, you know, and all that stuff. And so I suppose it would have been they would have probably seen it as a kind of safe pair of hands to give. Because mm. he got the job at 22, don't forget, captain his country. And they thought, well, like, yeah. yeah, but he's he's the right sort of man. He's, yeah. Was, wasn't they no... saying, oh, yes, minister? Oh. Above all, he is sound. You know, it's that kind of <laughs> stuff, isn't it? Um, and... Yeah, this was still an era where there was very little, I mean, arguably, there might, we, might, we haven't only recently got there, but this was very much an era where you were not going to be captaining England if you went to a fucking state school. Let's face it. No, no. He probably wouldn't even get in the squad, and but yeah. He became well. He is, I suppose. It's easy, to, you know. He's annoying, and he's got you know an ass for a chin and all that stuff. But he's um, absolutely but, has, but yeah. the he was quite the iconoclast, wasn't he? On the quiet, massively. You know, in 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 a sort of quite a <laughs> in in a way that is perhaps you know his motives were perhaps not the purest in that his he, you know some he fucking was smashing. money. You want some fucking money, and who can blame him in that regard? When you stood there with fucking, what is it? Courage, bitter, and cell net written all over your fucking clothes, and you're getting yeah, fuck all. And you, so. don't, you get absolutely nothing. Yeah, you have to make, you take a day off work. Link with the NCAA, of course. Yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah. So there was yeah, a point ultimately. to it, that 20 minutes at the beginning, see? Yeah. We definitely had that planned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, the irony is, of course, Carling was as right now, you know, it's correct now as it was then, really, in a lot of ways, you know, the things haven't changed that much in 20, 30 years. He did have to apologise, didn't he, at the end of it as well, that's the other thing. He did. I mean, he but, was quite yeah. rude, he's right to apologise, because you shouldn't yeah. call people old <laughs> farts. For him yeah. to say, you don't need a committee of 57 amateurs running a game like this, it should be more professionally run, that's yeah. the point, to call them old farts, is yeah. you, you should apologise for that, but... Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's uh, argument number so one. So that's number one, which is which is Carling versus the RFU committee. I feel like there's a nice se- uh, segue into uh, Rob Andrew versus Olivier Azam, which yes, honestly, one of the absolute primo dickhead moments of a career littered with dickheadery. You've got to give it to him. December two thousand and one, everybody, cash your mind yeah. back that far if you can. Enron's for, for, filing for bankruptcy. The yep. Afghanistan war is raging. Yep. Robbie Williams and Nicole Kidman are number one. <sighs> Tough times. With Tough a, times. What was that? Swing When You're Winning? Was that the album? Oh, God, it was, wasn't it? God, I hate <laughs> Robbie Williams. Anyway. <laughs> um, so anyway, in the midst of all this, Gloucester have beaten Newcastle 29-25. Rob Andrew is obviously... Newcastle is riddled with Rob Andrew. At this time, yeah. Um, and during the game, Falcons uh, Epitione with a very cuddly Epitione, yeah, gets himself sent off after Olivier Azam and him have a bit of a set to. Mm. Olivier Azam, it must be said, not a choir boy either. Not a choir boy at all. <laughs> and and again, two thousand and one. These are people like Epi and him are those 
brilliant sort of transitional players. I was going to say they're, trans- they're the transition between an era where literally anything went. Yeah, you can to you know, where we are now. Five years between biting people's fingers off, and oh, you might get sent off for that now. <laughs> and they they kind of bridge that gap wonderfully. Yeah, they didn't do. They? So he accuses us of racism, doesn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, he episode gets sent off and then afterwards allegedly says to Rob Andrew that he was racially abused by Azam. And Andrew basically just decides to damn everyone in the city of Gloucester, effectively, <laughs> for... Um, he not Andrew then says not only was he racially abused by Azam, but then that he claims that Azam was uh, encouraging the crowd to join in with the racist stuff, and it's basically, I mean, it's when you look at incidents like this, it's amazing that Rob Andrew was such a well liked and successful rugby administrator during his time at the RFU, isn't it? You know, it's he goes out of his way here to make friends as widely as possible. <laughs> Um, and yeah, you know, on-field racism, racist chanting, even at this point, not okay. However, do you know what's also awful is accusing people of it when you have absolutely no proof, despite it happening on a televised professional sports game, uh, where there were cameras and microphones and shit. So basically, um, even though 2001 was a different world in terms of its attitude to race, let's be honest, um, Gloucester investigate this to the point where they publish a 65-page report afterwards. Now, in 2020, that report would be independent, not done by Gloucester itself. But, However, you know, still, yes. still a 65-page report that found absolutely no evidence of any of it and basically said that Rob Andrew had better fucking apologise <laughs> or he was not welcome back at King's Home, which, I mean, is fair on on some level, you know, even if Andrew believes that to the core of his very being that something racist did happen. If there's absolutely no proof of it, you've kind of got to walk that shit back after you've basically, you basically said that Gloucester, you know, brought the game into disrepute and all of this sort of stuff. And it was pretty fucking strong stuff. Cause after he said what he said, that Tom, Tom Walkinshaw, who won Gloucester at the time said, Rob has a history of shooting his mouth off when things haven't gone his way. But his remarks last week were, I believe not missing his words, the most disgraceful ever made at a rugby press conference, <laughs> says oh, Tom no. Walkinshaw, <laughs> never knowingly unhyperbolizing it. Yeah. Let's not forget that the uh, the premiership was, while when this ridiculous thing happened, um, the RFU was in the midst of bringing in the RFU code of conduct, which um, set out sort of standards of things that you were and were allowed to say, which was literally invented and brought in for Rob Andrew because he <laughs> was such a fucking gobshite that he was going around and basically shouting his mouth off about how shit Clive, Clive Woodward's England were and all of this sort of stuff and criticising team sele- you know, England team selection and criticising what Clive Woodward was doing as a coach and all this sort of stuff in his newspaper columns and so they literally brought in the RFU code of conduct in order to stop Rob Andrew shooting his mouth off and in the, in the process of this he does this whole thing. And the best part is then, even though there's no evidence to support of what he said and he's banned from King's home and I think it's, was it, ne- and basically this happened in like the, like November or December, wasn't it, that year? December 2000? 2001, yeah. 
Yeah, and so then it took six months for him to actually, because he basically, Tom Olsher was like, he's not welcome back. And then Rob Andrews responded, well, well, if I'm not welcome back, then the entire club, you know, Newcastle yeah. Portland's not I welcome I do love back. that, yeah. I'm representative of the yeah. club, and a ban on me is a ban on the club. No, it isn't. No, it, it really isn't. 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 You've got to fuck off. Um, and yeah, it took him six months to apologise, and he only apologised then eventually, six months fucking later, because Newcastle had a fucking Premiership playoff game to play at King's Home. <laughs> <laughs> and have you ever seen a pub? If it's possible to to write a statement through gritted teeth, oh my god, it's so fucking. <laughs> Although the remarks were made in good faith, based on statements made to Rob Andrew before the press conference, he now accepts there was insufficient evidence to justify the remarks. It's, That's a bit of a non-apology, it's, isn't it? It's not a full and frank apology, is it? <laughs> but yeah, it really, and you know, it's quite remarkable to think that a couple of years later. Rob Andrew was the most important man in rugby in England. I mean, how uh, has he done it? I genuinely don't know. It's astonishing, isn't it? You can shit out your way to any kind of job if you like. Because basically, the, the the thing was at the time that Rob Andrew was very, very, very critical of Clive Woodward, and Clive Woodward was England because, as Newcastle were a very good side at that point, he, for all intents and purposes, had his eye on the England job once Clive Woodward in that, you know, if he could basically create enough shit, Clive Woodward got sacked. He wanted the England job was the, the vibe. And so, but then obviously he went and won the world cup and that fucked everything. And so I guess he had to then aim his sights a little bit higher. Funny in the middle of all this, of course, is the Zam says, I feel these accusations have damaged my reputation and character beyond repair. Oh, he threatened to sue him, didn't he? Yeah. All right, Olivier. I'm assuming I'm assuming somebody sat him there and said, you can sue him if you want, Olivier, but let me give you a list of things that you have done. You actually that have. Might get, that might get brought up at some point during all of this. Yeah, it's... Uh... For example, <laughs> by being banned for 12 weeks in 2009 for basically doing the river dance on Steve Borthwick's head, for example, that's one of them. <laughs> Do you remember in 2011 when, um, like, Rob Andrew tried to describe what he did and what his job as the director of elite rugby, whatever the fuck it was at the time, um, was, and he, like, had several goes at it and none of them actually explained what he actually did? That's the sort of job everybody wants, isn't it? Yeah, so he's a, he'd also, I think he'd also eye-gouged somebody. That's the, oh, is that as I'm nine week ban for eye gouging which seems very short but it was a different time back I mean, then it was a very different time yeah <laughs> um, where should we go next then from there let's go to uh, shall we do the SRU versus a typhoon just because it's daft bless them <laughs> fair play in terms of like a demonstration of selfishness and avarice and also a staggering lack of perspective, let's be honest. <laughs> um, this was basically the opening act to what we'd see eight months later from sporting bodies all over the world once coronavirus hit. It's like, you, you, what, you, what? you want to show a lack of perspective? We'll show you a fucking lack of perspective. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, so the SRU, of course, you will all remember, um, kicked right off about their match against Japan in the World Cup last year, potentially getting uh, called off. Which, and, of course, oh, it wasn't. Which, of course, it wasn't in the end, yeah. But um, 
yeah, you've got to give it to Mark Dodson. He was really earning his £70 million a year, whatever the hell it is, uh, when he decided to tell the Telegraph that the SIU... Well, he behaved so well during this that he he, he was he had no choice but to give himself, himself a, a £400 yeah. million pound rise afterwards. <laughs> yeah, so he told the Telegraph that the SIU would sue World Rugby if their match against Japan didn't go ahead because of the typhoon, which is some 11 out of 10 cunt behaviour when people are literally dying and being forced out of their homes in the country that you're sat in in that moment where there is a typhoon on. Like, Scottish fans perhaps reasonably assert that any nation that was in that situation of being knocked out of the World Cup because of a typhoon would probably have kicked off in similar tasteless fashion. But look, they didn't and you did. And also, I expect fans to emotionally lose all of their shit and yeah. not have much logic about it. You don't expect the CEO of the organisation to do the same thing. That's why they get the big bad. jobs. I love the so... fact that when he said, we're going to sue you to World Rugby, you just... World Rugby's statement in response was, oh, we're so fucking scared. <laughs> you know? <it's> kind of... <laughs> but it was so tone-deaf and so tasteless, given what was going on, especially, like... Like, it was the implication that, oh, you know, you just want to call this game off so Japan gets through, and then in sweet comeuppance, I'm sorry, Scotland fans, but it was sweet comeuppance, they get and fucking... to be fair, no, all the Scotland fans I know weren't had no problem with being sound yeah. debating. They just wanted to be given their chance, didn't they? As anybody would. And you and expect you fans would. to be emotional about it, as I say, but you don't expect senior executives to, be, yeah. to go to the press and start saying silly things. And then not only did you say a silly thing, but then when World Rugby after the World Cup was like, yeah, you sort of... We're not going to do you for bringing the game into disrepute, but we are going to fine you seventy-five grand and ask you to apologise to <laughs> Japanese for, rugby union. For accusing World people Rugby. of fixing things when a typhoon's yeah. fucking and then, blowing and, through our country. But the best part of that is that Dodson says he absolutely won't apologise, and he'll only release a statement that says basically mistakes were made on both sides. And then a week later, he climbs down and releases the statement <laughs> and pays the seventy-five k. <laughs> it's like it's just such a like. In, in, it's a wonderfully humiliating end to an unbelievably unedifying episode. Not for Scottish rugby, not for even for the SIU, but particularly just for Mark Dodson, let's be well, honest. Dodson's final statement was, I think we've all experienced our own typhoon today. A typhoon of emotion. <laughs> we've all learned something from it. Um, yeah, so uh, yes, yeah, so, so that was that. But it was, um, it was just such a shame, really, because... It really tainted the build-up to that game in a way that absolutely didn't need to happen and he's a dickhead for doing it. Yeah, and there's no excuses whatsoever because he no. isn't somebody in the pub who's just fuming because... Because their team might go out of World Cup. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and, and from a fan's point of view, you can understand because after what had happened in the last fucking World Cup as well, by the way, where they got tucked up by a ref's decision, which they absolutely did. Um, mm. Well, it was a poor decision. I don't think it was like tucking people up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you could see why it's our oh, fucking hell again. Want something else that we have fucking yeah, nothing yeah, yeah. to do with is doing this. But as I said, not you fucking bored. They shouldn't be doing that. You. Where next? Brendan Venter. Yay! <laughs> Brendan Venter, everybody. Brendan Venter versus everyone. Yeah, it's like which which one do you get into? Are you forget now? That this Brendan is two thousand and ten, by the way. Yeah. Well, Brendan Venter was and remains. One of rugby's biggest arseholes. Like, <laughs> it just his ability to be a petulant Mardi Dick is just absolutely world class. On-field shitbag of the of the first order as well. Yeah, just absolutely. Like, take your like you get the EPCR like over his tendency to say unhelpful things in press conferences. 
which of course ended up in the Mike Bassett-Sorelli-Bobbo thing, which is great, uh, against Sanzar, against the SAIU, against players' agents. Like, even today, he's merrily defending the indefensible with Saracens and the cap. And in doing so, he actually uttered one of the most uh, damning sentences of the whole affair when he said to Andy Goode, every time that a player needed to be kept, that player would go to Nigel personally, and Nigel would broker a deal with him. And Nigel would always broker a deal around the joint investments thing. That was him trying to defend. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> Brendan, Brendan, you're not helping. I think that's the thing. I think that's the thing with with Brendan Ventus. Like he absolutely doesn't have any kind of filter or any tact whatsoever, and so you just get an unvarnished. I kind of admired him in the Saracens day because he would literally say, "Come on, then let's have a discussion about it." Then on Twitter, but he yeah. actively wanted to have yeah. a thirty-eight thousand tweets chat about this <laughs> with somebody. But I mean, I'm sorry if you go searching for a, a, a thirty-eight thousand tweet Twitter argument like that. That's that's a sign of psychopathy. Come on. <laughs> well, I think he that. is so determined to win that he will engage in a thirty-eight thousand because yeah, it's yeah, a zero-sum yeah. game with him. I think, and he's kind of no, I'm going to yeah. be right. So we will keep going until I am right. And if this takes thirty-eight thousand tweets, then I'm here. Yeah. I'm all. Yeah. I'm here for this all day. Yeah, but then obviously the peak moment was probably 2010, as you say, when Saracens were very much in their enfant terrible, noisy neighbour phase. I mean, he did literally um, rip that club apart and build the foundations yeah. for what they've got now. I mean, he literally just looked at them like, this is all shit. You know, you've yeah. got to admire him he for made, that. He laid the groundwork for everything that they have now because he spent loads of fucking money and they signed every South African they could get hold of. And, you know, they, but they ended up with fuck all the show for it, which made them much more likable, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> they, they got nearer to getting something before they ended up exactly. with fuck all, though. They were, and it was basically, you know, he was laying a lot of the groundwork for them becoming the fucking evil empire getting that they used are. to operating at that level. You know, they didn't win. It was yeah. like, no, this is where we yeah. are now. They yeah. were getting the quarterfinal, semifinals. Then, of course, they got to the premiership final in 2010. But the a couple of weeks before... They played uh, Leicester at Welford Road, mm-hmm. and and there was some some shenanigans, shall we say, um, with with Brenda Venter and the Leicester fans and a ref. I mean, it was all a bit weird, wasn't it? So he was he claimed that he was put in a in a seat which gave him an obstructed view, so he had to stand up to watch the game. But then while standing up, he was chatting to a referee's assessor for quite a long time and blocking everyone's view at the same time. And blocking everyone's view. So Leicester fans gave it a bit of, understandably gave him some chat about that, to which he then gave some chat back, which is ill-advised. And Sharp Brits got involved with it as well somehow, which was... um, Anyway, it all transpired that basically you probably shouldn't get into full and frank exchanges of views with fans when you're a director of rugby or a professional rugby club because he then gets banned um, and then gets banned for the Premiership final, which is ironically against Leicester as well, where they lose, which is funny, let's be honest. Yeah, because I mean, this there's been a bit of a build-up in 2010. He'd slagged off a referee in like a 40-minute rant in January. Yeah. Uh, Accusing him of was, weirdly, weird. Like he said, 
accuse him of walking through a maze at half time and coming out as an, as another referee, which is a really specific his... and weird like yeah. Pay, which is basically a way of saying that he gave loads of penalties to the wrong. He didn't team, give any yeah. penalties to the wrong team in the second half. Which is, and he went on a massive rant about the breakdown after the Heineken Cup game against <laughs> Leinster and got fined like twenty five grand for it, which is then when he has the famous Sorelli Bobbo three cheers for Sorelli Bobbo thing. That was when he was basically taking the piss because he was like, oh, well, I can't say anything in press conferences, so I'm just going to say this nonsense thing from Mike Bassett, England manager, which apparently he watched on the team bus the week before and was inspired by it, which is to this day one of the weirdest details of this whole affair. <laughs> I was watching I'm going to do that one day. Yeah. No, don't. But it's a... <laughs> But it was literally like the week before, apparently. He'd watched but it on the team bus. But it's really like, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm trying to get behind it. I mean, it's almost like he decided that I'm just going to be an absolute cunt this year. Yeah. Because I think 100%. that'll be of benefit to my team. And I don't mean, I'm not yeah. even joking. I think he did think, well, actually, if everyone's just talking about me being a twat, then maybe they can get on with getting the monkey off the back around, you know, not winning or, yeah. or this, this, was, everything was, else. We're just... A lot of it felt very much out of the, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson school of trying to deflect attention away from his players by making the focus all about him. And fortunately, he wasn't nearly as good at doing it as Sir Alex Ferguson was. And so, yeah, got himself into a lot of hot water. And, um, and as well in this, is what, there was a Northampton game this year where when Saracens won, he, he led them round the field in oh, a yeah. sort of victory they dance were. and sing song. They yeah. pissed everybody Unbel- off as well. Unbelievably bad winners, which you know. I do feel I do I do quite like the fact that he's got no time for the polite, you know, Corinthian sensibilities of rugby. It's like yeah. you know, I'm just going to rub your fucking faces in it. I quite like that in some ways, but yeah, yeah a... I know what you mean. So yeah, Brendan Venter, who's then I said and now and has obviously never, even though he's ten years older now, has never lost this. This is obviously no, who still he is looking looking for a fight. Left, right, and centre. God love him. And obviously a very bright and so again quite an iconoclastic guy. I suppose he does come yeah. and mix things up. <laughs> I think that one of the themes, and you know, it could, with the next one that I think we're going to go on to, like a lot of the themes here is like rugby does not take well to people that are outside of the normal sphere of kind of personalities, and perhaps none more so in recent times than Luke Watson who, good Lord, he got into a lot of disagreements with a lot of people. Yeah, well... But he's such a fucking complicated case. Like, for those who don't know who Luke Watson is, because I'm not sure if he's yeah. not that common a name, is he? I know some people will be... Uh, uh, we had some suggestions for him when we asked for things, mm. asked for nominations for this as well. Luke Watson was a back rower who played for Stormers, South Africa. Did he have some time at Bath as well? Uh, he did have some time at Bath, yeah. Um, and his dad was Cheeky Watson. Yes. Who great, was a, 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 a an anti-apartheid campaigner. Yes, he was a rugby player who played, um, who got banned basically from playing for the Springboks because he played his rugby in the townships with the black players. Um, he was a white man. And, yeah, and then was a very prominent and very, 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 very committed evangelical Christian. Hmm. And was he the good kind? Go not not the one that loves to burn people. Don't know, don't know. TBC didn't get into that. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. No. <laughs> but <laughs> nobody asked him about gays getting married, yeah. so we'll a never very, know. Very, but a very rigid, a very principled evangelical Christian, which was the environment which Luke was brought into. And Luke, very good rugby player, mm-hmm. but his case basically, depending on who you talk to and who you believe in South Africa, he's either an arch villain who you know lived on nepotism and controversy for his entire career or somebody who basically sacrificed what was a very promising rugby career at test level because of his principles and i'm honestly i don't know which one is true i think the reality is probably somewhere in the middle i mean he's a good rugby player there is something about because at one point because one of the things he's accused of as we get to is that he went on a big rant when he was at some some events saying that the sru the s-a-r-u is rotten to the core and all run by Dutchmen, and and I understand that basically because I, I didn't know until my sister-in-law true. is South African, and I didn't know much about this really until I got talking to her about because she's she referred to Dutchmen once. I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "Well, basically, it's because the Africa there's people of kind of English European descent and yeah, the Africana European descent sort of thing. So the, and the country split, and rugby yeah. is the Africana game as we know, but I didn't know they were called Dutchmen. I didn't know there was this cultural." Sort of it's cultural divide, yeah. and 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 I remember James Small, the winger, who was a character himself, saying how difficult it was trying to get to the top level when you weren't in inverted commas a Dutchman because he wasn't either. Yeah. And he was saying yeah. it was that you were always a bit a bit like Mike Brown now, where he says there's not many people from state schools when I join. Whatever you think yeah. of Mike Brown, he's had to probably yeah. become a bit of an arsehole to kind of. Yeah. Ellis Genge's dealt with it by being a character, hasn't he? Yeah. Those are the two ways you want, you know, look at somebody like Marla as well, you know, you deal with it either by being a character or by basically kind of becoming, yeah, you know, something different. But yeah, like everybody, Luke Bottom was a good player, but everybody remembers him because he absolutely refused to ever keep his mouth shut and picked fights with everyone and everything in South African rugby. And because his dad seemed to be doing some pretty spectacular helicopter parenting on the side. <laughs> um but ultimately, a lot of what it came down to is Jake White was the coach of the Springboks at the time, and he thought that fucking Schottberger was a better player than him. Which is not a crazy Which, thing to to, to reach not for, crazy thing. <laughs> yeah, no, you know. And, and lest we forget, this... what did Jake White do with South Africa? Because all this kind of happened in two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. What what did uh, what did South Africa yeah. do then? Yeah, Be obviously exactly. the best team in the world basically yeah it's it's like so yeah basically there was a political like the the most sort of damning part of jake of of watson's career basically jake white didn't rate him as a player i think he basically liked his loose forwards to be built like locks Hmm. you know he wanted you know they were you know six foot four six foot five minimum line out operators and big lads and luke watson was kind of a traditional South African number seven in that he was quite short, he was squat, he was really good over the ball. And that just didn't, you know, that didn't fit in with Jake White's, you know, mm. view on, you know, what's the other guy, the fucking South African number seven, who, oh, Harry Brousseau. Harry Brousseau, you know, yeah. Yeah, you know, ignored by Jake White, really. And uh, because, mm. you know, just didn't want that from a back row. Didn't want that traditional However, breakaway type player, yeah. Yeah, however, there's this whole fucking mess of shit where, you know, there's a an implication and that there's some 
there's a feeling in South in certain aspects of South African culture that Luke Watson isn't getting picked for the Springboks because of cheeky Watson's past and this and you know it's basically a racial slash political thing more than a form thing especially when he's doing things like being player of the season in Curry Cup and stuff like that and he's still not getting picked for the Springboks. And so this horrendous thing happens in 2007 where the South African Sports Ministry forces Jake White to include him as the 36th man in the 35-man squad for the um, for the Springbok. For, I think it's for you know uh, for the Tri Nations um, yeah. or maybe the tours. And it's a hideous moment for everyone involved because Jake White doesn't want him to be there. And at this point. Lee Watson doesn't want yeah, to It's not the way he it. wants to be picked either, is he it? He absolutely does not want to be picked, you know. But this is this whole stigma and this horrendous thing just basically just, just like the stench of it lingers over Luke Watson's career for the entire rest of his career in South Africa. So even so after um after Jake White finishes with South Africa, you know, he does get back into the Springbok team, you know, under Peter Davidius and under um did he play? No, I don't know if he did. But certainly I mean, we've not included Peter De Villiers here, but he, his entire career could be one great rugby argument, couldn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, but, uh... yeah. Um, but yeah, like, like the, the reality is, no matter how good you are, you're never coming back in that environment, in a sporting environment, from basically being picked from a nepotism point of view, just from the players around you. And like, there's already enough. There's already enough issues in Africa, wasn't there, with the quota issue and politics, exactly. and then if you add and nepotism onto that as yeah. well, it and there was some, a... like Jake, like, and to be honest with you, Jake White has made some pretty fucking horrendous allegations that basically Cheeky Watson said that like he'd, um, you basically accused Cheeky Watson of trying to bribe slash intimidate Jake White into picking him for the Springboks and all this sort of stuff and offered him a new contract if he picked Luke Watson in all the Springboks squad, well, you know, which everyone's denied, obviously. Is that it's why Jake White keeps throwing his hat in for big jobs? Because he owes, still owes Cheeky Watson a load of money <laughs> off the back of this. Maybe. Um, but the really interesting thing is that Luke Watson, this is like all Luke Watson up until he basically... So he plays, he plays a few... Te- I think he plays like nine tests in total South Africa, most of which come after Jake White leaves. And he is spectacularly unremarkable. Um, you see, a lot of what we've painted so far is this, him as this kind of victim of the, the nightmare that's around him. However... Yeah, when he actually gets his shot, <laughs> he isn't very good. And he doesn't but, help with his gob either, does he? Well, this is the thing. He has then has this moment where he's speaking at some event and he basically says that every time he puts on... Um, a Springbok jersey, he wants to vomit on it because of what it represents in the history of South Africa, which, as, you know, somebody being brought up in an environment where your dad was an anti-apartheid activist and what that Springbok jersey meant in that era, you can sort of understand why he might say it, but Jesus Christ, don't do it in public. Um, yeah, so just be clever, he says that the shirt is a burden... Yeah, it's all he can do to keep himself from vomiting on it. The SRU is rotten to the core and run by Dutchmen. His dad, co- his dad claims he was quoted out of context. Yeah, and there's no, ev- there's no actual evidence that he said the run by Dutchman bit. Which right. Is okay. However, at this point, the damage is done, and um, this is shortly before South Africa are going to go on their end of year tour, 
And apparently the squad basically say that not a single member of the squad will get on the plane if Luke Watson is part of the squad. Um, and at that point, the interesting point part here is it's an interesting case of how somebody in the right environment and the wrong environment. In a South African rugby, Luke Watson could not stop getting into fights with people and getting into disagreements and causing you know, controversy mm. and trouble just followed him everywhere. He basically, at this point, fucking completes his season. Because it's worth pointing out, he was a really good captain for his Curry Cup teams that he played for mm. and was basically regarded as quite an inspirational, motivational leader. And so he finishes up his Curry Cup season and goes north um, and goes to play for Bath. And within, he plays a season for Bath, I think, in 2008, 2009, something like that. And within six months of him arriving, he's made club captain. Yeah. And he basically plays in Bath for, you know, for the next two or three seasons and is an absolute fucking model citizen. Um, nothing ever happens except that he's a, you know, he gets injured a bit and it, it it never quite ends as well as he does, but he was a brilliant player for Bath when he was fit. And he's, yeah, he gets made club captain. He's regarded as a great leader, a great fucking motivator. You know, he was basically, you know, before Francois Lowe, he was, you know, Francois Lowe was brought in to replace Luke Watson mm. when he went back to South Africa. Like, but it's so weird that, like, to go from literally, I want to vomit on the Springbok jersey, you know, I cannot stop getting into the headlines. And then he goes to Bath and it's silence and he's just nothing but a, you know, a really weird positive influence on the squad. Yeah, because some of the other stuff that comes out around it as well, I mean, that event where we've quoted or misquoted those bits about him, what isn't, is, isn't in doubt is that he did speak to Sports Illustrated and say that Jake White lacked integrity he oh, said yeah, that yeah. he said that the you know John Smith had no leadership credentials, you know <laughs> he said that the Springboks had lost their pride and passion. This is all around the time they're winning a World Cup, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And also he, he, he with the Stormers as well. He got substituted for the Stormers and refused to turn up to a press conference afterwards, and so was stripped of the captaincy because um, apparently the players lost confidence in his leadership skills. He, t- he sponsored by Adidas and turned and was photographed wearing Nike boots at one point. It's just like this this sort of like litany of stuff that he just he was yeah. obviously a bit of a fucking hothead. He didn't mind who, who... yeah. And I suppose well, this... that goal. I mean, South Africa's a big place, but it must have been acutely, acutely a problem for him to have that much focus constantly. I imagine, yeah. and also, but you could deal with that is... by shutting up, of course. But that's obviously not who he is, is it? So. But the interesting thing is that he, you know, he started off at Eastern Province and then moved to the Sharks. And he was so, like, his entire career is basically dominated by Schottberger, right? Because Schottberger's right. playing in his position. But Is it like Warren so Gatland obsessed. and Sean Fitzpatrick? <laughs> he's basically, yeah, but he's basically, no, it's, it's like Warren Gatland and Sean Fitzpatrick if Warren Gatland had made a point of chasing Sean, Patrick, Sean Fitzpatrick around the place, right? Because... <laughs> He leaves the Sharks, where he's like player. I think he's like player, Curry Cup player of the season. Really good, like playing fantastically. And he leaves the Sharks in two thousand and four or two thousand and five, and moves to Western Province, where um, where Sharp Burger is playing. 
and joins their team specifically so that he can demonstrate by being in the same team as him that he's a better player. And, you know, to a greater or less, you know, at, at times he does and at times he doesn't is basically the the long and short of it. But it's it's remarkable to see kind of, obviously he had this sort of real complex about this guy is just in front of me in the spring box. So I'm going to literally go and join his team and keep him out of the starting lineup or move into a different position in my team to demonstrate it. It feels very, it's quite a politically savvy move, but not a very savvy rugby move. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. And that sort of stuff, you kind of feel like if he hadn't done a lot of that, things might've gone a lot more straightforwardly for him. Yeah. But Weird. Yeah, in another time, who knows, really? Yeah. Because I think he was some player. I think it's easy to, he, he never quite got He was got a really there. good player. Like, I remember watching him for Bath when he joined in 2009, and he was a really good player, like a proper old-school South African fetcher, like hard as fucking nails, but really good over the ball. And, yeah, he, he was really good. Shall we finish off on a couple of classics, then? Alfie versus Eddie. I mean, I mean, we've done this numerous times before, but it's worthwhile. Where are your sources? Where are your sources? Most of his sources, like they were mixed together to make the jackets that he was wearing. If it one was curry worst, sources. One of the worst outfits that anyone's ever Chicken worn. Chicken Korma jacket, 2007. Chicken Korma jacket yeah. and a motorhead t-shirt. Um, I mean, the thing is, he obviously was, wasn't coping with many things at the time, wasn't he? I mean, now it's... Yeah. Uh, when you watched it unfold, you're like, what the f- Fucking, and in a way, looking back at it, I don't think that they treated Matt Ruddock very well, that group of players, and I don't think that's on. However, you've got to love Alfie and how he's just completely and utterly without side, isn't he? Yeah. He doesn't have any side to him at all. He's just like, well, this is what I think. And you could see him really trying to articulate the point he was trying to make and not having the vocabulary to do it. And that's not me trying to take the piss out of him. No, no, no. It's just like, he was obviously, like, and it, you know, Eddie Butler, a very, you know, erudite orator. Cle- and a cle- know, very clever man. A very clever Oxbridge man. Oxbridge graduate man, you know. Kind of, who was kind of toying with him a little bit. Yes. In that it was like, right, I've got the Wales captain on the sat next to me here. I can have some fun. Not not fun in a sort of like that he was, but he was just thinking, I can, I can put him in an awkward position here and I can see if I can get him to, you know, in, in the way that a good journalist and a good interviewer should in that point, you know make him quite uncomfortable and see if we can get some truth out of him that he doesn't want to say. Hmm. And Alfie, you really did have to feel for him because it, as you say, he just, he lacked the, the sort of oratory nous to kind of get himself out. Cause you know, this was not any, this was 2006, like players, particularly in rugby were not as heavily media trained as they are now. And I just think that move, letting the Welsh captain go on fucking scrum five, would yeah, I can you imagine now? Yeah, million bajillion years these days. Like they wouldn't let fucking Alan Alan Wynne- Jones wouldn't go within a fucking hundred miles of Scrum Five, even if the coach hadn't been sacked. These days, you know, it, the only time you ever see a Welsh player interviewed now is in a press conference or an interview that's controlled by the WRU. To let him basically just be on telly in a live studio with you know with a bunch of fucking journalists to basically just rip apart. Like, and obviously you had that whole fucking 
thing where he had a weird he had a stroke, stroke when, he, when he went home, didn't he? Know, you know, it's like... And he was dealing that, with a hell of a lot, wasn't he, at the time? This was yeah, in, in right, probably the height of his, going on. Of his yeah. success and his turmoil all at the same time, wasn't it? But, uh... Yeah, and you, and especially when you find, you know, you realise that it wasn't long before all this that he'd basically come out to the Welsh team and the Welsh coaching group. So, you know, he was like really, you know, it was so, such a bizarre thing that it happened. But unbelievable television. You've got to give it, you know, in terms of, car crash rugby interviews it it doesn't get much better yeah and it's always worth a rewatch again um absolutely you know the thing about mike ruddock who's at ospreys now isn't he ospreys now yeah yeah who's is he is he permanently in charge or is he interim in charge he's permanently in sort of involved <laughs> his title is tbd but i think he's basically a sort of director of rugby kind of situation when he got sacked, when he, he resigned, when Warriors went down, Worcester went down in 2010 when he resigned, I'll never forget, I don't know, it's only, it seems like a small thing, but I don't remember anybody else resigning with this kind of statement, really. And, and I looked it up because I, I, I remembered it. He said, as director of this 2010, as director of rugby, I take full responsibility for the situation we find ourselves in. Our inability to win close games has cost us dearly. I am devastated that I've not been able to deliver the success that the fans at Six Ways deserve. You don't see many retirement statements like that. They are resignation statements like that, do you? Like, you know, I, I'm taking this. It's all my fault. And yeah. believe me, I'm taking it very personally. And I'm very, very upset about it. Yeah, you know? it's, I mean, I think it, it, it does, you know, Mike Ruddock, fundamentally good man, I think. But, you know, perhaps to a fault in some cases. Yes, maybe. Maybe naive with it. Yeah, maybe. And then we, I suppose we should, we can't finish without just mentioning Stephen Jones versus everybody, <laughs> logic and common decency at all times. It really is a case study, Stephen Jones, right? I was thinking about this earlier for basically why new media is the worst thing that can ever happen <laughs> to like an yes. old school god. To an old hoary. Uh, yeah. yeah. Imagine if in a world where Stephen Jones's insane opinions about Saracens, right, were only printed and presented to an audience of the Times readers once a week, and by tomorrow it's, you know, chip yeah. paper. Instead, we live in a world where his increasingly insane and detached from reality rantings about salaries and the salary cap are not only being inflicted on anybody that happens to read it on the internet on the Times, but by the poor cunts that haven't been blocked by him on Twitter. <laughs> you know? And the ones that listen... Anybody who listens to his podcast, basically, he's the sort of character who should ban himself from Twitter for his own good because he's the sort of person who responds to having an opinion challenged by becoming more and more sort of zealously entrenched in that point and to be a extent we all fall victim to that on twitter when somebody says you're fucking talking shit mate you instantly sort of yeah you bristle and your chimp comes out yeah yeah well, but i think and i'm just Part of why Twitter's a fucking cesspit. But, like, Jones seems to have taken, like, the direct train to Alex Jonestown. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> the Alex Jonestown massacre, if you will. Hey! Um, hey! Come on. It's, like, yeah. this increasingly paranoid and insane readings of the facts. Like, you know, the fucking... What we were talking about earlier with, you know, the miners' report. You know, he read that report, which basically says that in future, anybody that does what Saracens do should get stripped of their fucking titles as well. 
And he read that as, well, punishment fits the crime. That means the Saracen should be reinstated immediately. It's like, no, mate. That means that they're fucking lucky that they've still got some fucking silverware. And that that means that whoever got caught two years ago should have been dealt with correctly as well. But it's... um, And it's what I hate about him most, you know, is (laughs) it's the fact that really... In the in in between all of that, he's a fucking arse licker. Yeah. Because actually, if he if you're important enough, he'll put up with any. He, if he de- deigns you important enough, which basically means somebody of a bit of a celebrity or a journalist. Yeah. He will. He he wants to keep you happy because he never loses yeah. that. I need to have contacts thing. Which so he can the, be a shit to everybody thing. else, but he's a fucking arse licker with people that he needs to keep which on is, side. Which is the absolute fucking, you know fundamental core of this hysterical Saracens defending is that Nigel Ray is his most influential and important and probably richest friend. (laughs) And and he's, it's, it's tragic and it, it's weird to think that he, I mean, I know he wins all these awards, right? But I can't ever remember a time when I didn't think Stephen Jones was a fucking arsehole. Even back when he just used to, I used to just read his stuff in Rugby World, I just used to think he's a I fucking... I mean, I think from a journalistic point of view for years, he had sources and he was researched, and so whether you agreed with him or not, he was, mm, a, suppose, you know, he was yeah. a journalist of note, wasn't he? You have to give him that. The fact yeah. that he's just declined into this sort of septuagenarian lunatic who just likes... Well, not that old sextagenarian lunatic who just likes just saying shit now. There is no... He's, he's, he's kind of... The, He's become the fucking Richard Littlejohn of rugby comments, hasn't he? Massively he just sits so, yeah. in the back throwing bottles and goes, well, don't fucking have a go at me, mate. It's just my job to throw bottles. Don't, don't, you know, this is what we're supposed to do sort of thing. And it's the fact that your point about when somebody says, yeah, but don't you think it's that because of this reason, Stephen? He just resorts to shouting what he's just said more loudly yeah. and insulting or you. Or calling you a, you know, whatever, one of the seven million sort of things that he does to yeah. try and make you look And when you listen to that podcast, to man, there is, you know, he doesn't engage in even with people who he's supposedly on a par with. Him, he has to be on yeah. a podcast with. He doesn't. He literally like shouts at them like he's lost his rag, like a toddler. It's like no, just en- just calm down and engage with what it is they've just put to you. It's really strange. He's, some, he's somebody that's so used to the medium of what used to be sort of opinion writing in broadcast sports only, isn't it? Yeah, which is broadcast only. He does not deal well with any kind of it's. A, He's, like I say, you should just delete Twitter immediately because that's, you know, it's absolutely made him worse because it's made him feel like paranoid and entrenched in these sort of insane views. But, you know, funny, isn't it? So there you go. A little bit of a chat about some rugby arguments from the past <laughs> and present. And I'm sure you've all... Can you remember the exact moment that Stephen Jones blocked you? Do you know what it was about when um, it was over? I think... I think it was quite recently, actually. Um, it was definitely something to do with the Saracens thing, where I think I retweeted, I quote tweeted something that he said and basically said that he was, I basically called him an idiot, I think. Or some, I said that he was insane, and I think he called me an irrelevance. Oh, he does that, non-entity irrelevance, non-entity, dickheads, yeah. yeah. Amateurs, yeah. that's his biggest yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, and then he blocked me, and I was like, wow, well, okay, whatever. Mine was um, the very shirt that you're wearing there, in fact, on that line. Oh. Josh is wearing which Lions tour? You tell people which one you're wearing. It is the 2017 Lions jersey. 
No, sorry, I got myself mixed up. It's 2013 oh. tour then that I got blocked oh, so on. Oh, yeah, yeah. 2013 tour I got That's blocked quite on. quite a while then. Yeah, well, it, it was an England squad had just been named and Stephen Jones is famously not a fan of rugby league players coming over. And uh, yes. Kyle Eastman had been nailed in the England, named in the England squad and I said, oh, I see Kyle Eastman's been named in the England squad. I bet Stephen Jones's moustache has exploded in rage. <laughs> to which point he responded. And I thought that would be a bit, because I didn't know then, you see. We didn't know then. I thought no, it would exactly. be a bit of a thing just to go, you know, don't be so stupid, mate, you know, whatever. But it, because at that point, we still thought we could engage on Twitter with people, didn't we? Yes, well, we can to a point. But no, he just came back with an incredible torrent of abuse and called me. A, and, and somebody came back and said that my blog was okay. And he just said, amateur and blocked me. So there you go. <laughs> um, and he I was actually, on tour then. He was following the Lions on tour. So we'd all want to do it. He was still raging and fuming about everything. It was so bizarre. Yeah, I, I've, I've, I've done a quick Twitter search and I found out uh, what... Um, it was just, it was 29th of December this year. Um, oh God, uh, that year, is rather, last year, which uh, and it was when he said something about Saracens and the salary cap, and I said uh, Stephen Jones entering isolated Japanese soldier who refuses to accept World War Two is over territory. Ah, yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Now. Um, and he basically went back and forth with me for about two tweets, and then just blocked me. <laughs> he went back and forth with you, though. Fair play. I mean, I think he basically just called me a no mark, and I laughed, and then he blocked me. Which you know, I think he might, he might have even said something about the podcast, which is funny. But you know, oh yeah, whatever. I sort of love when people say things. Yeah, your your fucking little podcast that I'm going to be listening to is like, yeah, perfectly happy yeah. with that. Thanks. <laughs> Oh yeah, a non-entity rights was his response. A non- <laughs> it's lovely. I mean, it, it's it's like playing the hits. You've got to love him when he plays the hits. Yeah, I've got to love him when guy. he plays the hits. Yeah, oh, that's why we all come to the gig. Let's be honest. Um, anyway, right. So let's go to finish on shit good quickly. Yet another one. We said this wouldn't take long, and here we are. Uh, uh, you know, Anna Sells gets in touch. Hi, Anna. She says. I can't see rugby being played in the UK this side of Christmas and that shit, given how long it's going to take them to get fit again. So, but the good thing is I don't have to watch Cardiff Blues getting spanked every weekend. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, what have we got here? James McKillop says, shit is a lack of a pod last week. Yeah, I was sorry, James. But hopefully I've explained to you with my little story of me son. So, yeah. And uh, Goody says, Lord Myers and Ackerman giving us some rugby news to chat about. Yep, Nick Hillen says... Bowden Barrett getting a team personal best in the first exercise back, despite not having played since the World Cup, I think. It's a fucking Bronco in year in four. What is Bronco? 30. It's one of those insane shuttle run things that right. they make. Is it like the bleep do. test, but for psychos sort of thing? Yeah, basically. Uh, and he did it in four minutes, 13 seconds, which, I mean, four minutes, 40 is sort of a normal time. Right. And... Richie McCaw's bet has the record in the All Blacks for the uh, for a forward, and his record was for four thirty or something like that. So Bowden Barrett did it in four twelve. But Bowden is, yeah. But Bowden and Thingy, they're the people who are doing these time lapse fucking. They're the type of people who are doing time lapse stories on Instagram of them doing kettlebell fucking workouts, <laughs> aren't they? I mean, did you see that thing about Quade Cooper's insane diet? By the way, no. Oh, 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 friend. Uh, Quade Cooper has... Um, I mean, fair play to Quade Cooper. He is fucking ripped at the moment. He is mucho um, ripped, yeah. He stripped it yeah, right um, back, hasn't he? 
That's that's because he claims that uh, him, Sonny Bill Williams, and um, Brisbane Broncos player uh, Tavita Pangai um, have been doing this. Um, it's uh, the radical carnivorous diet, where he basically doesn't eat any meat, any vegetables at all. He just this is what Quake Quake Cooper's daily food plan, right? Mm-hmm. Listen to this: seven a.m. bulletproof coffee, which is Two cups of coffee, two tablespoons of butter, and a tablespoon of MCT oil. Right? Uh, 9 a.m., sip bone broth throughout workout. 10.30 a.m. Is that warm, bro? Is that warm? I really hope not. <laughs> I really hope not. But, I mean, bone broth cold. It's going to have lumps of fat floating oh. in it also. Anyway, go on. Um, 10.30 a.m., two ribeye steaks with salt and butter. Oof. And then 6 p.m., an 800-gram tomahawk steak with roasted bone marrow and a dozen oysters. That's what he eats every day. Apparently, Sonny Bill's on this as well, and uh, they both basically... Basically, it's like the, the keto diet or whatever it is, but in a sort of... He basically claims that like various nutritionists have tried him on various things every over the years. He's tried keto stuff he's tried being a vegan he's tried being vegetarian he's tried eating balanced diets he's tried all this stuff and he basically says the reason that he's now ripped as fuck and not getting injured is because he eats nothing but meat i mean his poos must be absolutely horrendous i mean you're talking yeah you're talking you full, yeah i mean you're talking full pebble dashing aren't you each time this, is an, this amazing quote though i haven't really had a veggie or a piece of fruit for a while maybe four times in the last three months on a cheap date where i'd eat a hamburger or something with lettuce on it and let's be honest right i bet his breath fucking stinks <gasps> He's, he must be heavy on the fucking red, smints red red meat and coffee and bone broth and he says if he likes a little snack he has blueberries with double cream well, that's all right i mean yeah but you know I'd be leaning. I'd be leaning heavily into that part of the diet if you're asking me. Yeah. But it's, yeah, uh, the diet is none to low sugar, very high in fat and protein. That's just fucking miserable, isn't it? And anyway, uh, so yeah, there we go. Yeah, Quade Cooper's. Uh, in, anybody else having any bulletproof coffee in the morning? That's the worst part. I've coffee. heard about bulletproof coffee, and it's like you I've literally you it. whip the butter into the coffee. Yeah. No, thank you. No, no, no. Just, me, me brother-in-law's done what I said. No, I said, "What's this?" Because that's big in keto. And why? Yeah, because if you can eat it... cream, then why can't you just put that in then instead? Oh, fucking idiots! I don't know. It's all bollocks. <laughs> also, as I think it was, um, oh, what's his face, rugby world guy, um, Alan Demick. Al Demick pointed out how much is that costing him every day? He's probably fucking... cooking it on a fucking thousand-pound barbecue as yeah, well. Yeah, fucking right. <laughs> Every day, right, for for his main meal, an 800-gram tomahawk steak. That's about 40 quid. <laughs> and a dozen oysters. Hey, barbecue Which update. Is... Fucking Marrow Itoji had one on his timeline last week. You notice that? He's been sent one, hasn't he? Where's ours? Again. Again. <laughs> right, anyway, back to Tom shit good, quickly. Yeah, yeah. Sam Marsh says, good is Rory Jackson, retiring. Decent player, did a yes. good job when called upon. Yes, he did. Hope he and enjoys his retirement. Never, we'll always have Bunga Bunga. We will always have Rory Jackson in Bunga Bunga. You are right. <laughs> Oof, that's a deep cut from back <laughs> in the archive. Uh, uh. D. Clark says, Good is reunions. Another belting Jason Isbell album. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, I agree with you, <laughs> D. Clark. Uh, 
Amish Allen says, good is Hugo Monnier's suggestion of a Barbars match tour as a send-off for all these players that are retiring because they're not getting a send-off? Yeah. He's um, full of fucking good, bright ideas, Hugo Monnier. Several people, several people have suggested um, good is um, Sam Cross setting up all those Ospreys players with the most oh. Tavern Starfleet names, which was fucking great. This is what I forget. It's like, how have you not seen The Simpsons? But I forget they're all so young now. They're probably not watching yeah. Deep back in The not. Simpsons, are they? So Isaac, Owen Watkin not realising Isaac Hunt was, I mean, it's a test to Cal's. One of my favourite bits of The Simpsons is there's obviously those prank calls, but when you watch the compilations, they don't show you Moe's reactions. And there's one where he says, where I catch up with you, kid. I'm going to carve my name on your back. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's like, whoa, that's oh, God, It's shit, how dark it? it goes so quickly. Uh, uh, what else have we got here? Uh, good. Babo says, normal people and I play a binge watched yesterday and have been blobbing ever since. Normal people. Don't know what that is. Let's have a look. Uh, it's, the, it's the dirty thing. What? On BBC. It's that dirty program. Lots of shagging. Oh, right. That's all I know about it. <laughs> dirty, dirty program. <laughs> <laughs> My auntie used to always um, say about my cousin fish, when, he, when he came in late from the pub. So I know Gary got in last night. He came back with some woman. He's a filthy pig. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Patricia V says, uh, Mega Good is uh, Squidge Rugby's interview with the man, the legend, fucking Gaminara. You say, yeah, and we love Gaminara, don't we? But then you forget that he did piss all over a restaurant and was horrible to the staff. I know. How how soon we forget? I hope he wasn't the ringleader in all I hope he was trying to calm him down when he's so small and he was saying, fuck off, Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Also is good, to be honest, um, is the fact that World Rugby, instead of fucking sending copyright takedown notices to people like Squidge, are presumably paying them to do And engaging with him, yeah. Impel paying them to make fucking content for them, which is the Gaminara thing, was exactly. part of it. I think was done for World Rugby, which is fucking yes. When Squidge's review of the World Cup final gets about ten times as many views as the official highlights that you're promoting on your channel, you might have to wake up a bit, lads. It's like it's the it's the thing. It's like if your brand, if people are being funnier than you and getting more attention than you for things that you're saying about your brand on Twitter, then fucking employ them to do it for you instead of letting them, you know. Instead of doing your steady shit, so brilliant stuff, and congrats to Squidge for fucking getting it. Yeah. Uh, la- last few. Ian McGilp says shit is he's having to postpone his wedding. Ian. Oh mate. Oh, because of COVID. So he's not the biggest victim. He knows that. However, he said good as a winter wedding is yeah. cheaper. Well, there you go. Ian. It is, mate. Absolutely. And I'm sure you know you and Sophia will have a lovely time together and Indeed. a lovely future together, however long it takes. So there you go. Indeed. Long Starbird says good is the fact that watching a computer play itself at rugby now seems an entirely sane and even wholesome thing to do. <laughs> yeah, sure. And finally, this is. I don't know where this has come from, but it's so wonderful. I don't know where to start. Adam Reese gets in touch and says. That shit is the fact that Ye and Evans had a sports fragrance in the 90s that only sold 30 bottles and I have never smelt it. And gives a little quote from the least successful aftershave it's called. The top male <laughs> fragrance for people of our taste is the exquisite Yayan number 14. In 1995, a go-ahead perfume company decided to launch a new line of aftershave. Boldly, they named it after Yayan Evans, the Welsh rugby international winger. It was withdrawn after selling only 30 bottles because women did not want their men smelling like a rugby player. 
It is now the most exclusive fragrance in the world. As only 30 people on the planet walk around smelling of it. It's extremely difficult to get hold of. I do have a few bottles of the stuff, says Yian Evans in his memoirs, so you might have to get some from him if you're after some. Right, listeners, we need to find a bottle of... This has got got Mike Bubbins written all over him. He must be able to use his contacts to get hold of one of them. The thing is, when was the when was that fucking aftershave done? Nineteen ninety-five. In the ninety-five, because this is kind of past. Yoyan Evans in like nineteen ninety-one, nineteen ninety-two, unbelievable player. Scored that try like, in ninety-three incredible. against England. So that that that, yeah. that led in the memory. Ninety-five, he's starting to be on a bit of the wane. <laughs> yeah, he's like, heading downwards to his weird... bath stint, isn't he, and all yeah. that stuff. I mean, he won the European yeah. Cup, but yeah. Yeah, well, to be fair, yeah. But yeah, so, we, but he's well, never yeah, seen to be yeah. the guy you'd want of perfume. I mean, he's never the most glamorous, you know, good player, but never the I most mean, glamorous guy. Basically, I guess it's 1995, the game's just gone professional, and somebody goes, you like some money? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> Rugby's going to make money, isn't it, lads? Yes. Everyone get into rugby. <laughs> Pile into rugby. <laughs> After that, lastminute.com. But first of all, rugby. Yeah. Right, <laughs> that'll do us, won't it? Fucking hell. I think it fucking will, mate. Jesus. Well, two weeks worth, see? Two weeks of pent-up shit to let out. Indeed. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for contributing. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us. Like, I'm I'm sure it's about 12 of you left by this point, but you've (laughs) you've got some fucking gold at the end there. So uh, we'll speak to you all soon. Goodbye, Josh. Take care, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Ta-da. Christmas, a time of caring, sharing and compromises, like deciding which presents make your list or which in-laws you're going to for dinner. But with Unpost Mobile, there are no contracts, no bills and no compromises. Just unlimited calls, texts and a whopping 50 gigabytes of 4G data with 99% population coverage, all for only €15 a month. And you get the first month free when you switch. Switch to OnPost Mobile today and shop our range, including the Samsung A02S from 129.95 at onpost.com forward slash mobile or at your local post office. OnPost Mobile, for your world. 15 euro unlimited available for new customers. Fair usage policy applies. For terms and conditions, see onpost.com forward slash mobile. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.